we just work smarter or work harder or apply more brute force, we can impact the results. And we can to a certain extent. But if you really want to get breakthrough results, you have to go even further upstream than that to your thinking. Because it's the story that really leads to the behavior that leads to the results. And so the most consequential thing you can do in terms of getting bigger, better results is to examine your story. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Here's one thing I really respect about what you guys have built here is that the overall experience that you have built through your company was handed off to your daughter in a way that seemed to be extremely streamlined, like the, from an outsider's perspective mm -hmm. anyway. And now this is your second book out. Mm -hmm. I swear I just interviewed you for your last book like six <laughs> it, months ago. It does feel yeah, like that. <laughs> right. I think it was like actually a couple of years ago when your publicist reached out. I was like, really? Again? Wow. You guys are just like, keep going. You're really doing keep it. Going. Yeah, we had the same reaction. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, how do you maintain, and I'll mm -hmm. kind of direct this one to, to Michael. How do you maintain the wheel of work here where now you're kind of shifting control over to Megan? but also still completely involved in everything and helping write more books and pushing the vision and stuff like that. How do you maintain that work ethic? Well, I think that I've been able to focus more on my sweet spot. We call it the desire zone, you know, where your passion and your proficiency come together. So kind of like you, you were, we were talking before we started, you know, that there's some things that you like in your business and other things that you don't like. Well, I get to focus on hundred percent of the time on the things that I really like. So 95% of my time is given to those things. And I have enormous confidence in Megan because we just have, there's so much overlap in our values. And we've been literally working professionally together since she was, what, 17? It's like we share half of the same DNA. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs> then we forget I'm adopted. No. Uh, yeah. And so it's been really seamless and easy. You know, I, she has a thousand percent of my confidence. And I, I literally feel like now I'm working for her. She's the CEO of the company. And so I don't dare do anything that I don't run by her. And, you know, we talk as partners and all the rest, but, but it's been pretty seamless. I mean, your perception of it is pretty much outwent. Yeah. Yeah. How was it from your perspective coming through, like starting working at 17? Yeah. Because you know, obviously everything looked different at the company at that point. Right. Can you well, describe? Well, this company didn't exist back then. So, um, in fact, the first experience I had with you professionally was when I was eight years old oh, I forgot and I went this. to a trade show with him. And he took me, I, I'm like thinking of my own kids. This is with Thomas Nelson? This is with Thomas, well, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Thomas Nelson. I'm thinking about as a mom of five kids, taking one of my kids at eight years old to do this. But like, I went to all the meetings with him. I had like my little dress and my little fancy shoes and probably a little bag of some kind. And I, I just got to sit at the table at all those conversations, which I think was great training. And that continued. Then in high school, I ran merch for a tour. You were a literary agent and I ran merch for that tour that we went on together. So you got thrown in the deep end. Yep. We, we were living on a tour bus. And so that was kind of our first real experience together. And then this business, we began in 2011. Mm -hmm. And so I joined in 2012. And 
not with the idea that I would eventually become the CEO. I don't think either of us had that no. in mind. And what were you doing at the time? At the exact time, I had decided to stay home with my kids for a period. I had just adopted two boys from mm. Uganda and I'd quit my job, which was in communications and decided I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And that lasted for about nine months. And I decided, <laughs> nope. <laughs> did I hire you as a copywriter at first? No, but I was doing marketing. So I think I probably did some copywriting in there. So it, it really, though, as time has gone on, it's been awesome. You know, one of the questions we get all the time is, is it really as good as it looks? And I was telling somebody yesterday, in fact, this relationship professionally and personally is is easy. That is not true with all experiences of working with family. I think it's, it's almost never true. It's almost never <laughs> yeah. true. And it really is as simple as it looks. You know, I think we both just have a ton of respect for each other and we communicate well. It's fun. I think one of the things that informed the transition too was that I had gone through some really bad transition yeah. where I succeeded somebody that had a hard time letting go and made a mess of things. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My husband was saying the other night we were talking about it and he said, I just have never seen a founder who is able to step back and hand over control to somebody else mm -hmm. and do it with as much confidence, but sense of completion. You know, like there's never been a moment where he's kind of tried to step back in yeah, and take yeah, some yeah. of what he gave me to be in charge of at all. And it's just, it's an amazing privilege on my part to have the benefit of that, but he's still very involved. He's still a resource to me. And at this point, you know, we're partners and yeah. I can't imagine a better partner. Real quick, I want to, I want to table that discussion because we kind of glossed over something and I want to make sure that we talk about it before yeah. we move on with you, Megan. You said that you wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and then you, and then nine months you were like, never mind, yeah. I'll do something else. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I, th this is a question for you as a working mother because yeah. my wife is a, is a working mother as yeah. well. And she gets this kind of stuff a lot from, you know, culture at large. How do you deal with people trying to tell you that maybe you're being less of a mom because mm -hmm. the CEO of this company that requires yeah. your time and attention? Or yeah. like, do you feel guilt on that kind yeah. of stuff? Like, how do you deal with that? I think at this point, I don't really feel guilt, but I've also been parenting for a long time. And I think when my kids were younger, I can remember one time my husband and I kind of had a deal of I was going to drop off the kids in the morning at school and he was going to pick up and we had a kindergartner at the time. And I remember one day I ended up doing that. We swapped for some reason. And I, I was picking up and the kindergarten teacher looked at me and she goes, Oh, it's so good to see you. It's been such a long time. You like, you're never around. And oh, it just felt like a knife to the heart. I'm like, I'm here every morning. You're just, not, it's the other guy that's out here in the, you know, person, the, it's okay. a different person. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that we've been so intentional about at Full Focus is this idea of the double win, you know, which is what our last book was about, winning at work and succeeding at life. And so Part of what I said to my dad when at the, as my career was kind of progressing and the business was growing and he said, I want you to become the COO. I said, that would be great. I'd love to do that. But the only way I can do that is if I'm done every day at three so I can pick my kids up from school. You know, yeah. I mean, at that point, this is a little further down the road. I decided that that was the constraint that I wanted to put uh, in. I tell a little bit of the story in Mind Your Mindset, but we had adopted two boys from Uganda in 2011. They had a really hard history. And they needed a lot of my attention in order to thrive and heal those early traumatic experiences. And I wasn't willing to compromise that. Mm -hmm. And I really believed in what we were doing and I wanted to do it. And, and I think this is a great example of what we get into in the book, really. You had a very flexible mindset, which was, hey, if you can produce the results in 30 hours sure. a week, knock yourself out. And that was so empowering for me because that gave me a story that then I could start solving for, okay, how can I do that? How can I do that? And I came up with a lot of ways to do that that didn't cause me to have to violate 
my priorities outside of work mm. or the opportunities within the business. Michael, coming from your background, b- being that you've been in these businesses, you know, essentially publishing content, putting out ideas to the world. That's basically the business you've been in since mm. you started your career. But when you started, you know, things like flexible work hours and working virtually and things like that were not even a part of the conversation. Why do you think that when she brought that up, your immediate reaction wasn't like, well, I, I slaved work in this business and I built this from the ground <laughs> and you're not even willing to work past three o'clock. Well, no, you can't. You know what I mean? Why, why, yeah. why did you immediately just go like, you know what, if you can produce, doesn't matter to me, do, mm-hmm. do what you want. I think I've always been kind of a rebel mm. and I hated the corporate mentality. Even when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, publicly held company, 750 employees, I hated all the corporate stuff. Mm. And I would fuck the system, which was a system you would think as the CEO I could have changed. But sometimes cultures take on a life of their own. I wanted to experiment with remote working and virtual executive assistants and all that kind of stuff. And man, I had my lawyers, our HR people were like, oh, we can't do that. I mean, just imagine, you know, people working on their own. How do we know if they're goofing (laughs) off? And all of a sudden I felt like, you know, if you're not hiring right, maybe that's a concern. But if you hire responsible people and you focus on results, not process, better for them, better for you. And I literally always had the mentality of, I don't care how long your butt's in the seat. Mm. To me, what's important is, are you producing the results? And it never even occurs to me to think, well, did you do that in two hours or did you do that in 60 hours? You know, and in, and, and in fact, kind of my value system is that, honestly, if it took you 60 hours, maybe you need to go in the slow class. Right. What are we doing here? Yeah, right. Yeah, what exactly. are we doing here? Right. Yeah, like you, you, you are... I think it's a fundamental, like buckling yourself into the scarcity mindset. Yes. Yes. Like, well, I'm paying you for 40 hours. So if you did your job in 25 hours, then that means that you owe me time or money back Mm because I'm paying for it. And it's like, no, 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 we're not, you're not paying me for hours. You're paying me for a result. If I accomplish the result and we're both happy with the result. That was what the price was that you said you'd be willing to pay for the results. So does it matter if exactly. I did it in 20 hours or 40 hours or three hours? Like, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. There's not necessarily a correlation between the time spent and the value of the thing you create. You know, somebody could make, uh, an employee could make a phone call that has enormous positive consequences and it took them two minutes. Mm-hmm. Somebody could spend 60 hours or four weeks working on a project that basically is a waste of time. You know, so I think you've, you've got to create a culture inside of an organization where the focus is on results that matter. And when you do that, it becomes possible to shorten your work day, you know, to really achieve more by doing less. I wrote an entire book on that topic called Free to Focus. But it's it's really important, I think, to get very clear on what's your high leverage work mm. and what's the work that matters so you can say no to all that low leverage work that sucks up your time and keeps you from having a life. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well said. So I I really liked I really liked you guys come out with this book because I love your style of writing and I've, I'm not a big reader, just to be honest with you. If you would have asked anybody from growing up, <laughs> if Travis would ever read a book, every one of them would <laughs> laugh in your face. So the fact that I read any books at this point in my life is, is a big accomplishment. And this year I have a bigger goal and we're, I'm, I'm on track for six books this month and trying to continue. That's great. So mostly audio, like I'm doing yeah. four, yeah, yeah. four in audio, two physical is the goal per month. Like it that. counts either way. It counts. I'm just telling you. Yeah. Information gets in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and frankly, I like listening to the book. So I listened to Vision Driven Leader recently and and, uh, and then picked up the physical copy and went back through mm-hmm. it and just kind of highlighted all the I stuff like that, that way stuck out. That's what I do it too. as listening. Mm-hmm. Took a bunch of notes on that. So I, I love your writing style. I don't. My my point in saying that was to say I don't often read authors' work like multiple 
of their books, read multiple of your books. I like your writing style. It's very practical. Thank you. It gives me things that I can actually yeah, do today and, and tactically implement into my business, into my life. This one I felt was like the precursor Mm -hmm. to all of your other books. Is that- You're not the only person that said that. Yeah. In fact, I started referring to it, in, 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 like I did this in an interview yesterday. I said, this is like the prequel. It's the prequel, right? Yeah. Exactly, because everything starts here. If, it does, if, yeah. If you don't mind your mindset, if you mm -hmm. don't have this one thing mastered, then everything else that you do is seemingly impossible. Like yep. just you saying that, you know, get rid of low leverage work, only focus on, there's somebody listening to this going like, but I can't. You know, like I, sure. I have right. all these things to do. How do I get them done? There's nothing that I can do about that. Like you're speaking from this place of having an organization of people that can do work for you. I've never like immediately start feeding their mind with mm -hmm. like, That's I right. can't, here's why I can't. Here's all the reasons that this won't yeah. work for me. And now you've written a book that's like, hey, actually it's just in your mind. Everything is, comes down to your mind. Did you have any inkling of that being the case when you're writing this book of like this being the prequel or like this setting all of your other books up away? Or was this some, was this just a message that you felt needed to get out and it was an appropriate time to start writing it? I feel like we didn't have a sense of that at the beginning. It's one of those things that has become very clear in retrospect. I think for us though, for different reasons, but this topic of mindset, this idea that we're always telling stories. It's what our brain does. And those stories ultimately can either be very helpful for us and lead to us taking the kind of actions that's going to lead to the results that we want or not. Mm -hmm. We've both had very personal experiences with that. And we tell these stories in the book. And I think what we want for the people who are going to read this book is that they would be able to experience a whole new lever in their life with regard to success that would lead to breakthroughs and freedom that they may have been looking for their whole lives in some yeah. cases, but just it, despite their best efforts, they haven't been able to get a breakthrough there. You know, our culture is so action biased. And we talk about this in the book. You know, those of us who are high achievers, we want to just take better action or work harder, those kinds of things. Right. But sometimes we're just kind of throwing good money after bad, so to speak, because the story that's informing those actions is never going to give us access to the solutions we need. That's really powerful. That one last piece you said there, the story mm -hmm. and the actions. Mm -hmm. it's, that's everything. Sorry, you were mm -hmm. going to say something. No, I was just going to say, I I never used to think about my thinking. I, yeah. I assumed that my story was some version of the truth. In fact, I wouldn't even say some version. I would say that however I explained the facts of my existence and what's happened in my life, the story that I'd constructed was the truth. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I hired an executive assistant by the name of Eileen, executive coach, yeah. sorry, executive coach, who... Um, who basically challenged my thinking. And the whole premise for her coaching was that if you're not happy with the results or you want bigger, better results, the natural place to go, as Megan said, is action. You know, if we just work smarter or work harder or apply more brute force, we can impact the results. And we can to a certain extent. But if you really want to get breakthrough results, you have to go even further upstream than that to your thinking. Because it's the story that really leads to the behavior that leads to the results. And so the most consequential thing you can do in terms of getting bigger, better results is to examine your story. And we talk about this in the book about, you know, identifying your story. And that takes enormous self-awareness to think about your thinking mm. and then interrogate the story and say, is this really true? The different components of our stories are almost like Lego blocks and they could be assembled into anything. I was at Disney World recently and I, I saw an entire Millennium Falcon spacecraft full-size 
created out of Legos. Okay, so See, people construct. Disney often, but that might get me to Disney right there. <laughs> there you go. But people construct all kinds of things out of the the elements and stories. But but the interrogating that story is necessary for imagining a better story and realizing that you know that story's not really serving me. Yeah. I think I could have another story. I, I don't know if you want to tell your, or if you wanted to tell, but the story of public speaking would yeah, please. opens yeah. the book. Well, it's funny to think about it now because I feel like about 50% of what I do is speaking in some form or another, you know, whether it's a conversation like this or I'm on stage or in front of my computer doing some kind of live stream. But I grew up with a debilitating fear of public speaking. Mm. And it was a fear that nobody knew about except later, fast forward, my husband knew. He didn't know our team didn't know. And it all began when I was in high school. And I had a friend who was delivering a presentation in front of a big class. You know, it's kind of one of those year-end presentations. Mm -hmm. And she had a panic attack. And she ran out of the room crying and found her in the bathroom, kind of, you know, hunched over, sobbing. And unconsciously, you know, in retrospect, I can see this, but I developed this story that speaking is dangerous. It can lead to absolute humiliation and the loss of control of your body. And that was like my worst nightmare. And so as time went on, I avoided any experience that would involve me speaking in front of other people. It got to the point so absurd in my 20s that when I would be at like a small group gathering with church, and you know, you go around, you read a little bit of a book or a passage of the Bible or something. I couldn't even do that in front of six or eight people. I would mm. pass to the next person because I would start to feel my throat constrict and all those physical sensations of anxiety. And so professionally, I would just shut down opportunity after opportunity after opportunity that would come along. Yeah. And finally, it got to the point, you know, now I'm working in this company and we weren't partners yet, but, you know, we're, I'm in the company and the team says, you know, we wanted this big event, probably gonna be like 800 people there and we're so excited about it. And, you know, you've never keynoted and we think the people would love to hear from you. We want you to keynote. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> And, well, what did you say, though? Yeah, but I said, a nervous laugh, sure, that'd be great. <laughs> and I think the next day or next couple of days, I, I got on a trip to go on a, a business trip and found myself sitting in the gate in Chicago at the American Airlines gate, sobbing myself, texting a friend, my friend Michelle, saying, I have to finally face this demon. I cannot let it control my life anymore. Mm. If it kills me, I have to find a way to get a breakthrough. And that began my most profound experience of confronting a story that had been so limiting for me and mm. so constricting. And I went through a six-week process of preparing for that event. I literally wrote a new story for myself of how I wanted to experience being on stage. Mm. Uh, I worked with an anxiety coach, a speech coach. I had medicine from my doctor, which I didn't end up using, but I, you know, I just wanted it in my back pocket yeah. in case. And what was amazing, as difficult as that was, and it was very hard, to, to prepare for that. I had a panic attack the night before. Then when I got on stage, it played out exactly like the story that I had written. It was fun. I felt confident. I enjoyed it. I connected with the audience. And she killed it. I'm just going to tell you, I was in the audience. I could have never, I was never more proud. It was amazing. And it was such a profound experience of, of realizing I'm trapped in this old story mm. for 20 plus years of my life. And then by changing the story, I have access to a whole new experience of life and impact. You know, the most powerful things thing to me about any time you experience something like that mm -hmm. is whenever I've had any sort of similar experiences, my next immediate thought is, I wonder what else, what else right. I'm not doing. Exactly. What else I'm thinking yes. I can't do that I probably can do. It's like, if I made that happen, I never thought that was going to be possible. No. But 
it went okay. It did pretty yeah. well with it. It seemed like it was yeah. received well. You know, what other things, mm-hmm. other stories am I telling myself mm-hmm. that is limiting me from stepping into this ultimate version of, you know, mm-hmm. who I really can be? And everybody has something. May not be Absolutely. that dramatic, you know? I hope if you're listening that it's not that dramatic. <laughs> but, but if it is, there's even, there's hope for that. I have people all the time reach out to me who are terrified of public speaking. It happened yeah. just the other day. Somebody sent us a video about it. You know, that they had heard that story and it made them think just maybe, and this is an example of interrogating the story, just maybe that story they'd been telling about they couldn't speak because they were too anxious about it might not be true. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, isn't it the number one fear? Yeah. Like, it is for adults. Yeah. What is that Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld says that, you know, the number one fear that Americans say they have is a fear of public speaking. He said, which means that if you're at a funeral, You'd rather be in the coffin than giving the obituary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. But it it, it all comes back down to the stories that you're telling yourself. And I love that idea of interrogating the story and trying to really figure out where did this come from? Why do I think this way? And what evidence points to it potentially not being true? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. There was another book I was reading recently, uh, Limitless uh, by Jim Quick. And he was talking about something similar and said to, you know, look at your, look at your story and look for, for those types of things. And then to control the state that you're in as you're continuing to envision what the next story might look like. And I thought that, hmm. that was another interesting insight because it is. I feel that a lot of times. It's like the, the, the time where you want to re-examine things typically is the time that you probably shouldn't be because it's so the time true. where you're against a wall of fear. You're feeling anxiety. You're crippled by this. You're in the midst of the pain. The, the pain point is, is the highest that it could possibly be. And yeah. in that moment, you're making the decision to, I'm not going to public speak. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you are completely closed off. 
to all opportunity of the potential positive future. And you're only able to imagine the potential negative future, which is just continues to breathe so that anxiety inside of you. And so I, I again, go, go back to vision driven leader too. I like the idea of just like, go change your state, get out of your normalcy, whatever that means for you, your office, your, your, your room, your living room, wherever you, you know, do your typical daily routine and go somewhere else and get out and get in nature or something, look at the ocean or watch a funny show, like put mm -hmm. yourself in a positive mood so that you can start to envision the potential and the possibility right. that, because the future is nothing but possibility and you either make it negative or you make it positive. It's not destined to be one way or the other. It's only your desire or action that's going to make it that way. Mm -hmm. And if you're only ever picturing this or envisioning with this like just vivid, you know, vision that it's going to be negative, of course, you're going to try to avoid that and just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to just go ahead and stay in this smaller version of mm -hmm. myself because that's way too terrifying. Yeah. Well, I, I had an experience this last fall that, that is kind of illustrative of that. I went through, I had a heart attack in September and like, I'm really healthy. I worked with a nutritionist for years. I worked with a fitness trainer for years. And so it was like out of the blue. I knew I had a high calcium score, but on a walk back from the park, my daily morning exercise routine, I started throwing up. And I called my wife, she picked me up, long story short, ended up in the, in the hospital. They did a angiogram and said, you've got some blockages and we need to do bypass surgery. Well, I was stunned, shocked, but I thought, okay, good. I'm alive. So that's good. <laughs> and so I went through that, but, but then I had to go into cardiac rehab. This, this by the way, would be a great mockumentary movie, <laughs> cardiac rehab, because it's hilarious what happens there. But I mean, cardiac rehab was seven other people, all happened to be guys. And so they monitor your exercise. That's like the whole thing. You, we do it a couple times a week, but then there's always an education lesson that comes at the end of that, that first day on Tuesdays. And so they talk about nutrition or exercise or stress or whatever. So in the very first one, the nurse that's leading this says, what does your heart attack mean to you? Now she perceives something very important. There's the fact, and then there's the meaning that you ascribe to it. And I think that this is the thing we sometimes forget, particularly in adversity, is there are the facts, but then we concoct a story based on those facts. And sometimes it serves, serves us and sometimes it doesn't. So the first guy to speak was sitting directly across the table from me. And he's answering the question again of what does his heart attack mean to him? And he says, for me, it means the beginning of the end. Oh, it's going to be a slow decline until I die. I've peaked. Basically, my life is over. Now, if that's your story, I mean, bring on the cheeseburgers, the fried chicken, because it doesn't matter. No sense exercising. It's all over. That's like a totally different perspective. He's honest. That was good. It's literal disempowerment. Right. Yeah. And when you think about the actions, like you just said, that he's going to take from that place. Yes. Not going to be helpful. I was blessed in that I have a doctor in Los Angeles who I've worked with for a couple of years. He, he looks at my blood work. He knows how healthy I am and all that stuff. But he calls me when I'm still in ICU. Now, I was still in ICU because they didn't have a bed in the main hospital, but I was nonetheless in ICU. Mm -hmm. He calls me and he says, look, nobody knows how healthy you are like I know how healthy you are because I've been reviewing your blood work and I've been talking to you every month and so I know. But he said, regardless, he said, I know it's tempting to second guess yourself, to think about what you should have done or could have done and to kind of get in that loop in the past. He said, I want you to forget all that. He said, you can't impact any of that. That's history. But he said, here's the thing. Your entire life is in front of you. He said, you've, you've basically rebooted your life. You've got blood flow to your brain like you haven't had in longer than we know. And he said, this is going to make a big difference for you. And so he said, I fully expect 
that these next few decades, however long you're going to live, are going to be your most productive and your best is yet to come. And he said, I just want you to have that kind of positive outlook. So I didn't go through any of the negative things that people sometimes go through when they're recovering from a cardiac surgery because of that positive outlook, that story that I got from my doctor. Two different stories, mm. two different outcomes. And I'm thinking to myself, I better eat healthy. I better exercise. Same event, two different meanings ascribed mm -hmm. to them. I love this conversation for so many reasons. And one of them is, you guys know, I talk a lot about you know, networking, making friends, building mm -hmm. high quality relationships. And I find so often I pay a lot of money to go to mastermind groups. And sometimes I question myself and go, why am I paying this much money to be in these groups? It doesn't make any sense. But then I go to them and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I go. Yeah. That's why I pay this much money to be here. Yeah. I have personally found, and I would love for both of you to speak into this, starting with Megan, that in my life, my mindset and how empowering or disempowering it is fully at least mostly anyway, dependent on the types of people that I allow into my life and the types of people that I allow to speak those stories into my mind. How important is your environment and the people that you allow in when it comes to when it comes to your mindset? On mind? Yeah, it's critically important. And we talk about this in Mind Your Mindset that one of the, the best hacks that you can use if you feel like, ah, I just can't quite envision a better story. You know, maybe you've had some tough stuff in your past or it's you've got a story that's particularly entrenched this is where other people can be so helpful yeah or, uh, or detrimental the converse yeah, right. yeah absolutely um but on the positive side they can be so helpful like in your masterminds mm -hmm. where maybe you're you're encountering a business problem and it just seems impossible to you and you hear somebody else share oh yeah i had that problem too and here's what i did and you know now it's in the rearview mirror mm. well all of a sudden that shifts what you think is impossible. That is is a way of interrogating the story and kind of using somebody else's story to get to something better for yourself. And I think that is a powerful thing. And similarly, it works in the reverse. You know, yeah. I had a conversation yesterday, well, we both did actually, that, you know, was with a consultant talking about, you know, some things we were working on in the business and there were like lots of good things, but there were a couple of negative things that he just honed in on it really kind of threw me off, you know, like I, I went home and I was like, oh, honey, I had a hard day. And I'm talking to my husband, I had a hard day and I had this conversation and I just, I thought this was going really well, but then this guy said this and, and he was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, he, he knows, he knows this game and he's, sure. he's like, but what about this, this, you know, he's helping me interrogate. And so then this morning we were talking about it and I thought, you know what, here are the facts. And I kind of made a list for him. And then here was the story that this guy was telling, which wasn't completely wrong. And some of it was, was absolutely helpful, sure. but being able to have the objectivity to say, I can listen to that negative input. And then there's a moment of choice. Hmm. Am I going to accept that as the truth? Or am I going to say, I'm going to take what was useful from that and just disregard the rest. Hmm. You know, that's part of what happens when you get good at identifying the difference between the, the facts, which we're talking about things that could be on a police report or a financial statement. I mean, they're not that exciting. You know, it's just, it's, it's kind of basic. And then there's the story and that's where all the energy and the emotion is. You know, when we can separate those two things, then we have the opportunity to choose. And so even though there are probably for all of us, there are people in our lives that maybe are less positive than we'd like. And some of those people you can't always get rid of. You know, <laughs> you know what we can do is we can exercise our agency and we can be intentional about saying, Am I going to take that on as the truth? Am I going to make that my story or am I just going to let that stay their story? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Mike, I'd love to hear your perspective too on 
the friendships that you've allowed into your life, some of maybe the more empowering friendships. I, again, I look, you look through some of your books and I know, I think if this is the same one as the one that I got, there's all these ones at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So you have all these like, you know, past praise for books or whatever. And it's like, there's nobody in here that no, anybody would recognize like Tony Robbins or Dave Ramsey or, <laughs> or Dan Miller or Henry Cloud or yeah, there's not really, not really anybody of note in these books, but you got to do what you can with what you got. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd love to hear your perspective on what friendships like these have done for you in terms of the things you've actually accomplished materially, but then also in your mindset. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's important to intentionally surround yourself with the right kind of people. And sometimes those will be friendships. Sometimes people are in a disempowering family situation where the people are just negative or they want to play the victim or that's kind of how they explain their life. Sometimes you have to hire these people to help you tell a better story. And yeah. I mentioned Eileen before, but I can remember one of the conversations that I had with this executive coach, Eileen. This was back in the recession. So I'm the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. It was August of 2009. And we had just missed the budget, big miss for July. So she flies in. She's going to spend the entire day with me, as she always did every month. And it was about 75% psychotherapy and about 25% business coaching. <laughs> but she said, uh, she said, hey, how did last month turn out? And I said, mm, not so good. She said, what? She said, what happened? I said, well, we missed on the top line by 10%, which was millions and millions of dollars because we were a big company. And, she's, and I said, on the bottom line, we lost money. And she said, wow. She said, I'm surprised. She said, last month, we sat in the same room and you assured me that you were not only going to hit the budget, but you had a good shot at exceeding it. So what happened? And I said, well, the economy, we're in this recession. Foot traffic at retail has really decreased and consumer confidence is at an all-time low. And I said, in addition to that, we're in the publishing industry, we're going through this enormous transition from physical books to digital books. And we don't know what, how that's going to shake out. And that's creating a lot of uncertainty. And then in addition to that, there's social media, which we haven't quite learned how to harness, but we know that traditional marketing isn't working like we used to. So that's why we missed. She thought for a moment, she said, okay, what was it about your leadership that led to that result? And I was kind of offended. I said, my leadership, I just got it done explaining to you what happened. And she said, well, let me ask the question a different way. If you could go back 30 or 45 days, would you have done anything differently? And I said, yeah. She said, like what? And I said, well, I probably would have met with the sales team every day in a stand-up meeting just to make sure that we were pacing toward the result that we wanted to get. Okay, what else? I probably would have got on that, that Walmart sales call because I, you know, pretty good at sales and I think I could have got more product into their stores than we ended up getting. What else? I gave her like three to five different things. Then she kind of smiled and she said, so what you're telling me is it is about your leadership. <laughs> Now, I, I know I had made the problem out there and, and what she was teaching me was that the problem was in here. Now that came through somebody who ended up becoming a dear friend, but somebody that was my executive coach that could see for me what I couldn't see for myself, that I was playing, I had a story in which I was the victim. Now, the good news about being a victim, not your fault. I could tell my board, I could tell everybody else that it was all out there and nothing I could do. I did my best. Right. I tried. Right but I didn't get the results. But once I accepted her version of the story, which is that I had agency and I could lead in a different way, then all of a sudden, yes, it's my fault, but all the power came back. Yeah. You literally have the ability to do something at that. That's point. right. Mm -hmm. The other way, just, well, how do you, what do you do? What do you, mm -hmm. how do you improve? Yeah. What do you do to make things better then? If mm -hmm. it's nothing that you can do about it. And so, so many people have friends like that, that reinforce, you know, victimhood or yeah. some other negative story. And it's a way of thinking, and you got to be, I think, very deliberate about the people you let into your life 
So like the Jim Rohn quote, you're, you're the average of the people, five people that you surround yourself with. I don't know if it's five or 10 or 20 or whatever it is, yeah. but, but it does make a difference and the science shows that. Absolutely. Well, listen, guys, I, I wish, we, wish we had more time as usual. I love these conversations and could talk to you guys for a really long time. But I want to be respectful that you get out of here to your next interview. Mind your mindset. Is there a specific URL that you want people to go to purchase this book? Yeah, it's mindyourmindsetbook.com. And at that URL, there's all kinds of fun bonuses when you go ahead and grab this book. We've got a course that we just recorded together. Get the audio book for free. And then you get this neat self-coacher tool that's really fun that kind of walks you through the steps that we outline in the book. And it's sort of like a paint-by-numbers way of just doing this process on yourself. It's an awesome thing to have in your back pocket. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, guys. As usual, if you're watching or listening to the show right now, stop whatever you're doing. Go to mindyourmindsetbook.com. Pick up a copy of the book. I promise you will not regret spending any time with Michael and Megan. Go give them a follow on social media. Tell them you heard about them here on the show. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you guys next time. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.